it's it's Julian Assange and WikiLeaks that have returned honor to to journalism. Julian is a truth teller, and that's what has upset the those who continue what Goebbels called the big lie. Anton Kettis from The Third Man, and of course, the Iron Man, John Pilger, up front. Uh, we interviewed him uh, two weeks ago, and you can get the, that interview at the uh, Covert Action Magazine website. Um, and I'm Randy Credico. This is Live on the Fly, Assange Countdown to Freedom. This is our uh, fourth episode. We have a very special guest, the great, indefatigable, dauntless Italian investigative journalist specializing in national security matters, and that is Stefania Morizzi. I'm very, very excited and anxious because I had to do my homework, and I'm not sure I did enough um, because she has such a huge bank of great work that she's put out there over the last 21 years. I'm sitting in the studio with uh, Nathan Fuller uh, from the Courage Foundation. Uh, Just let me just uh, uh, remind you that this is a production of Randy Critical Live on the Fly in cooperation with Covert Action Magazine, covertactionmagazine.com. And we are in the uh, precious, they really are, studios of nycpodcasting.com in the historic Lower East Side area of Manhattan. And Nathan Fuller, um, once again, uh, another big day in court yesterday for uh, Julian Assange. Can you uh, give us a summary? It it was. We had uh, some important news inside and outside of the court. Uh, Inside the court, we got, uh, this is his final uh, final case management hearing before the full extradition hearing begins February 24th. This is it? There's not another case management? Not another case management. There okay. might be one more appearance, but okay. it won't be a case management. And so this one dealt with the dates for that case management hearing. And so the first week of the hearing, the full extradition hearing, will continue to begin uh, February 24th for that last week of February. Uh, but then there's a break, and we have three weeks in May, beginning May 18th, uh, to continue the extradition hearing. Uh, but then outside of the court, we learned something even more important, which is uh, WikiLeaks editor-in-chief Christian Hrapnensen Uh, reported that he had seen an affidavit presented by the United States uh, in a reply to Assange's legal defense, uh, and they indicated that uh, under their uh, understanding of the law, uh, as a foreign national, Julian Assange will not receive uh, First Amendment protections. That First Amendment protections are just for U.S. citizens and that's uh, the old Roman thing. And that's you know? a new dangerous interpretation of the Constitution, of the First Amendment, and uh, it's something we should really be paying attention to. That's a, Julian Assange said that uh, on this show. He said that what applies in Rome doesn't apply in their empire. So 
the laws that apply here don't apply to anybody overseas. That is an outrage. Well, it's a select laws even. is It's even more worrying. The The First Amendment doesn't apply beyond U.S. borders, but the Espionage Act does. So I see. Yeah, there's a little contradiction there. But, you know, they do what they want to do, and the law ultimately is what the Supreme Court says it is, right? Uh, we uh, also had another development uh, today. Uh, Joseph Farrell, who uh, works with WikiLeaks, I think he does uh, PR for WikiLeaks. Uh, he does a lot of the work. I think he works with the legal uh, font, uh, legal not not with you, but with the um, the whole uh, apparatus. General there. public campaign. Yes, okay, yep. the public campaign. Uh, uh, Joseph Farrell, very good, very articulate, and we have a clip of some news that just broke this morning uh, that he put out on YouTube. In a dramatic climb down, authorities at Belmarsh Prison have moved Julian Assange from solitary confinement in the medical wing and relocated him to an area with other inmates. The move is a huge victory for Assange's legal team and for campaigners who have been insisting for weeks that the prison authorities must end the punitive treatment of Assange. But the decision to relocate Assange is also a massive victory of prisoners in Belmarsh. A group of inmates have petitioned the prison governor on three occasions, insisting that the treatment of Assange was unjust and unfair. After meetings between prisoners, lawyers, and the Belmarsh authorities, Assange was moved to a different prison wing, albeit one with only 40 inmates. But there remain serious concerns about Julian Assange's treatment in Belmarsh. He is still being denied adequate access to his lawyers, as even the judge recognized at a case management hearing in Westminster Magistrates Court. And campaigners continue to insist that Hassan should not be in prison at all, least of all in Belmarsh High Security Prison. But all that notwithstanding, this is an important victory for the campaigners outside and inside the prison walls. Well, that's pretty good news. I mean, it's good news. And then, uh, as he said, uh, we should take caution uh, with these other things that haven't been resolved. And um, Still issues, but outside of solitary confinement is uh, very welcome news. It's, uh, the the uh, trial will now take place, or the, the next step will take place at Woolwick Prison, which is the, uh, is the Woolwick uh, Queens Penitentiary, something like that. It says court. It's the uh, Belmorish Magistrate Court, uh, I believe. Or, no, here it is. It's the Grant Woolwick Crown Court, which means it's in the name of the Queen. It's in the name of the Queen. I mean, this is such bad publicity uh, for the uh, British Crown. And I think this is what's going to turn the tide ultimately is the bad press. And we'll be talking about that with Stefania Morizzi. Um, and we need, we need more bad press. And we need the press. We need the press here to give in the U.S., the British Crown and the British government, bad press and their legal system and the CIA uh, and the uh, Justice Department and the uh, Eastern District of Virginia, uh, the, this this convoluted, uh, contrived case, 17 counts of espionage against Julian Assange, they need to circle the wagons, all right? You don't get – you don't see people on MSNBC or on CNN talking about this. They never have any real people who know it as guests. Now, they did one time after Assange was arrested. I was watching Ari Melber and Jesslyn Radek, who is a 
specialist, uh, First Amendment whistleblower uh, attorney out of Washington, D.C. She went on uh, right after Assange was arrested, and she actually got this in. This is very concerning. Um, under Obama, there was basically a war on whistleblowers. And I always said that this could be a backdoor to a war on journalists or on a news outlet. And that's what we're seeing come to full fruition right now. And I really think the arrest of Assange puts all journalists and publishers at risk of prosecution under the Computer Fraud Abuse Act, which is a tool of choice for today. Prior, it had been the Espionage Act. But the Computer Fraud Abuse Act is just as much an overbroad law that can be incredibly punitive and has been used against a number of the whistleblowers that you think of, um, like Chelsea Manning and Tom Drake. Um, and Edward Snowden. I mean, there were CFAA charges that the government tried to bring in in those cases as well. And publishing classified information is not a crime. There you go. You see, we need to see more of that. We need to see those in mainstream media have guests on. This jeopardizes them. This jeopardizes anyone in media. So those people who always conditioned, you see uh, these uh, talking heads on CNN and MSNBC and elsewhere saying, uh, all right, uh, this is going too far. He may not be a journalist, but uh, this jeopardizes all uh, journalists. Now, wait a second. Anyone who says that Assange is not a journalist, they are not a journalist. They are not a real journalist. Anyone who says that is not a real journalist. Anyone that I've seen on CNN who has to condition it by saying that he's not a convinced, they are not journalists. Assange is a journalist. And we have a great journalist coming on in just one minute, a real journalist. Uh, but before we get to her, I was reading uh, this week uh, about someone that was a journalist, someone uh, that uh, was a author, and uh, someone who was a um a politician, and his name was uh, Giacomo Matteotti. You know the story of Giacomo Matteotti? He was around um, 1924. Here was a guy who was a great journalist. He was a head of the Socialist Party at that time uh, in the Ita Italian legislature. And he came out and he slammed the fascists for what they did in the 24 elections, the strong-arm tactics, uh, the brutality that they used, the uh, voter suppression, uh, everything that uh, you would see in a third world country uh, on election day was happening in Italy. And he went up there at age 39 twice and delivered. Imagine this. Mussolini is now the head of state. And he came out and did it. A week later, he was thrown into a Lancia uh, convertible or whatever and dragged away and stabbed about a dozen times and he died. 39 years of age. That was a journalist that spoke out and gave up his life. Julian Assange is a journalist that has spoken out, and his life is in danger at this point. His liberty definitely is in danger and has been for 10 years. So um, we have a journalist coming up. I told you about Stefani Morizzi. I was at the Sam Adams uh, award show last week. Everyone was talking about Stefani Morizzi, and with good reason. Uh, it's really going to be a privilege talking to her her again in just one minute. We're going to play this um, one, minute, one minute break. We'll play this song. It's called Canto 
De Matteotti, and we'll come back with the great Stefani Marizzi. Ad ascoltarmi state Canto il delitto di quei galeotti Che con gran rabbia vollero trucidare Il deputato Giacomo Matteotti erano tanti viola, rossi e tumi, il capo della banda, Benito Mussolini. I don't know who the singer is, but that is a beautiful tune. It's well-written, and even though I don't speak Italian, uh, it's got a great melody to it. And um, we are now being joined, as I told you up front, uh, with uh, one of the leading uh, worlds, one of the worlds. And she doesn't like to be called. When I say to Stefano Morizzi, you are world-renowned, she's, I'm just, I'm a journalist doing my job, all right? She's, she's, I'm a journalist doing her job. And everybody should take that motto. I'm a journalist doing my job. And she does an incredible, a hell of a job. And welcome uh, back, Stefania. Thank you, Randy. Did you know that tune that I just played, Canto de Matteotti? No, of course, I know Matteotti, but I don't know the camp of Matteotti. I didn't know it. Oh, okay. Well, good. I didn't know it until I heard it last night, uh, but I, I kind of liked it. Uh, but welcome back. Uh, you've been very, very busy, uh, and I have a lot to talk to you about. But before I get into the FOIA stuff and global um, uh, undercover global and other uh, things on your plate, I, I, I just want to get your thoughts uh, on uh, the uh, situation in Brazil, uh, the charges against Glenn Greenwald. What's, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I think they are very, very dangerous. And I, I'm really concerned about Glenn Greenwald, uh, whom I, I really think highly of, because I think Glenn Greenwald is a great journalist. I really appreciate how he uh, practices oppositional adversarial journalism and how he's able to be independent and um, I, I, it's really inspiring for me because uh, I, I think there is a massive conformism in our profession and people just uh, support the herd like uh, the group like uh, um, uh, thinking. So if everyone say, says that Julian Assange is a, is a threat, uh, everyone reports that Julian Assange is a threat. If the Pentagon say that basically Julian Assange has blood uh, 
on his hand. The reporter just report, uh, just believe what the Pentagon says. The Pentagon, if the FBI says that Julian Assange is a Russian tool, the report just, uh, just uh, power out uh, the FBI. So I think Glenn Greenwald is really different. He's uh, a really independent-minded uh, journalist, and I really admire his work. And I'm really, really concerned because uh, the national security complex in the U.S. absolutely hates him due to the, his work with Edward Norton now. The fascists in Brazil hate him for his work, for uh, his investigation. So I'm really concerned about what can happen to Glenn Greenwald. You've partnered uh, with uh, Glenn Greenwald, uh, with Snowden, on the uh, how it affects uh, Italy. Can you talk about that for just a, a minute or so? Yes. I work with Glenn Greenwald on the modern sites about Italy. It was really interesting, really challenging, but it was really important to expose the, the NSA surveillance against my country, and it was uh, uh, really important to do it. So it was a really important piece of journalism, and uh, I believe that without uh, Glenn Greenwald, without... Uh, uh, Laura Poitras, without Ewan uh, uh, McCaskey from Guardian, and without WikiLeaks uh, helping Edward Snowden, we would not have the Snowden files. We would not have Edward Snowden uh, safe and free as it is, because he was in serious danger. I mean, I see. Uh, the last time, um, speaking of Julian, the last time uh, you saw him. I, uh, I believe was uh, last year, uh, just prior to him uh, being uh, arrested. I, I know that he was carrying a book that you had given him. Why, did, why was he reading that book? And it was by Gore Vidal. And uh, when did you give that to him? Well, Gore Vidal is really is a prominent intellectual. He understood the, the national security state. Uh, very well, and that book is really important, really inspiring, and, and uh, I wanted Julian Assange to read that book. Immediately after the U.S. election, I brought that book, The Present, to Julian Assange in the embassy, at the embassy, and I wanted Julian Assange to read that book because it's really, really important, and Julian Assange, what what I think is interesting about Julian Assange is the fact that he understands politics. He doesn't just understand technology. He doesn't just understand cryptography. He understands power. So I wanted him to read Gorvidal thinking, Gorvidal um, book about the history of the national security state. And when I saw Julian Assange arrested, carrying my book, I, it was really, you know, it was really upsetting. It was a powerful symbol, you know? Yeah. Well, listen, we're both Italians, and I think uh, that the Italian blood makes us emotional. And uh, it must have been difficult, uh, heartbreaking when you saw him, because you know him. I mean, you go back to 2009. When did you first get involved uh, with WikiLeaks exactly? Yeah. So, first of all, you. Uh, 
the first time I worked as a media partner with WikiLeaks, it was in, um, in the summer of 2009. Oh, At that time, very few people, very few professionals had even heard of WikiLeaks because WikiLeaks had been established in 2006. So it was just three years after WikiLeaks had been uh, created by Julian Assange. And few people knew about WikiLeaks. Few professionals just cared about WikiLeaks. And the reason why I look at WikiLeaks was that one of my sources was in trouble, and one of my sources had stopped talking to me because she was concerned about the possibility of being exposed. So it was at that point that I realized that as a journalist, I didn't need a better source protection. And uh, since I'm a mathematician, before going to journalism, I got a degree in mathematics. For me, it was natural to look at cryptography and uh, as a tool to protect my communications. And uh, one of my sources inside the cryptography world basically told me, you should have a look on that bunch of lunatics. The bunch of lunatics were the WikiLeaks people, and they had just started publishing their documents using cryptography as a tool to protect sources. So, so for me, it was kind of really important uh, approach to journalism. And um, when WikiLeaks, uh, at that point, I started establishing the first contact with WikiLeaks try to understand who WikiLeaks was, who Julian Assange was. And uh, when in 2009, in July 2009, they received a file about my country, they called me in the middle of the night <laughs> and they asked me to, for help to verify that file. And that was the first time we worked on a file together. And since then, I have worked on all their documents since uh, 2009. I work on the Afghan war logs. I work on the U.S. diplomacy cables. I work on the documents about Guantanamo, all the documents. And you know what is sad? It is really sad that I have worked with Julian Assange for my newspaper for the last 11 years. But the last time I was able to meet Julian Assange as a free man was basically the 28th of September 2010, which means 10 years ago. 10 years ago. And um, I, you saw him after I, I last saw him uh, when I was there for your uh, FOIA uh, hearing uh, back in uh, November of 2017. And... You know, that had already been six or six, five years at that point, five and a half years that he had been uh, in that very small room uh, and uh, very, very confined with no sunlight, never getting any fresh air. And uh, I was worried about him then. And you saw him after. What When you saw him, uh, what what were the conditions for him like? I mean, how, how, how did he look physically to you? You know, Randy, for me, it has been really sad to witness how his health was, has been collapsing since 2010. Because, I, I mean, I have seen this progressing. I have seen this, um, his health 
collapsing for the last 10 years. So I, I realized how this confinement was devastating for his health. I realized how he was uh, under enormous stress, huge stress, how he, he was under tremendous pressure. And it was really sad to realize this because, you know, we were working. I was working for my newspaper, paper. He was working in, for WikiLeaks was publishing the documents I was publishing. I was publishing the story. He was publishing the original documents, but the, the same uh, material. And I never had any problem. No one arrested me. No one put me in prison. No one put me uh, in confinement. No one uh, questioned me. Nothing. I had no risk whatsoever. Whereas he, he was, he went through hell. He was put in. Uh, first, he was put under house arrest. Then he was uh, confined in an embassy in a very small flat with not even an hour outdoors. I mean, in my country, we give an hour outdoors to very, very dangerous mafia people who do all sorts of horrific things. So how can you accept that a journalist cannot enjoy an hour outdoors, not even an hour outdoors per day? Right. Well, listen, if he were to come here, if he were to be extradited here, it, he would be going from hell to deep hell because the prison conditions here are are really medieval. Uh, people have died. Uh, you know, Epstein uh, was murdered probably in this guy, you know, Whitey Bulger. No one can be protected in, in U.S. prisons and the conditions really are filthy and there's no oversight. And that's one of the reasons why Lori Love, the judge in the Lori Love case, would not extradite him give the okay to extradite him to the U.S. because of the prison conditions in the U.S. And he would definitely be a marked man. Um, you you have said that um, that what they've done, what the Assange has done uh, is, uh, I'll quote you, is like among the most significant revelations in the history of journalism, uh, particularly the war logs. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, of course. I mean, you have to realize what it means for us journalists and even for people, even for the layman to access these documents, secret documents, for the first time, you are able as a citizen, as a journalist, to get uh, original documents about the wars in Afghanistan, in Iraq, and you don't have to read the embedded journalism by, uh, written by reporters who are there and are subjected to the military censorship or are not allowed to go here and to go there, uh, and they don't have the full context. Uh, for the first time, we were able to read the reports from the field, and we were able to uh, discover a lot of civilian deaths. We were able to discover death squads. So we were able to access uh, factual information about wars, about intelligence, which we are never allowed to have because these documents are kept secret for decades. And when you can finally access these documents, they are no longer relevant in most cases, you know, because <laughs> they go back to facts to 40 years ago, 30 years ago. So these, these documents are tremendously valuable. And if you consider that 10 years after they had been published by WikiLeaks, uh, 
We are still using the WikiLeaks documents. So just think about Khashoggi, Jamal Khashoggi. Yes. As soon as he was murdered, the Washington Post accessed the WikiLeaks documents looking for information. And we at La Repubblica searched the WikiLeaks documents looking for information, writing uh, um, we use them to write our investigation on the involvement of an Italian um, cyber espionage company. So, I mean, these documents are still important. They still keep informing the public. So these documents are tremendously valuable. And indeed, their model has been copied by many. I mean, if you look today, leaks are everywhere. Today, media partnerships are everywhere. So this model has been copied by many, you know. Well, pe- this is why I think their journalism has been tremendously important. Well, they certainly have served as a great source, uh, or a, uh, I'll use it this again, the Library of Alexandria for uh, material on uh, war and, and uh, State Department cables. The, the, uh, the State Department cables you refer to, because of, uh, of the State Department cables, they were able to get uh, information about the Chagos Islands um, uh, in, in that recent case. And can you cite some other uh, important um, revelations from the uh, from Cablegate? Oh, absolutely. For example, the, if you thanks to the cables, we were able to un, to uh, understand and basically to have factual evidence about the pressures on our ministers, on our politicians. Um, because of the Italian investigation on the CIA extraordinary rendition of a Milan cleric, Abu Omar. So you have to realize that my country, Italy, is the only one which was able to name the CIA agents involved in the CIA extraordinary rendition of uh, this uh, Abu Omar cleric. And basically, our prosecutors were so good that they were able to to <clears throat> nail the CIA agents. But then the politics was put under pressure by the U.S. And basically, our justice minister refused to forward the arrest warrants for the CIA agents involved in the extraordinary rendition. And thanks to the cables, we are able to de- to document these pressures. And without these documents, so you can maybe imagine, you can guess that the U.S. was putting pressure on our politicians, but you would never have, have any evidence. And now, thanks to these documents, the cables, we have evidence. So this is just one of the important revelations of these documents, which, as I said, they keep informing the public, and we still keep using 10 years after they have been published. Well, that's that's the crux of all of this. Is that is that uh, Julian Assange, uh, by protecting sources, uh, he's able to get people that trust him and trust WikiLeaks that they will not be outed and that the material can get out there. And this really uh, puts a lot of fear in the people who are committing these crimes, i.e., the U.S. government and the British government. They don't want him doing this. They don't want their dirty laundry to be exposed. Isn't that what this is all about, this entire operation, uh, this uh, this contrived espionage act 
charge against them? Isn't it all about that they are embarrassed and they don't want this stuff? They want to make an example out of him. They certainly want to put him out of business. They absolutely want to put them out of business. They absolutely want to crush Julian Assange from the very beginning because they perceive Julian Assange and the WikiLeaks uh, publication as a as an existential threat because you know these people doesn't don't like the exposure. They don't like continuous exposure as WikiLeaks is doing. They don't want. They are horrified about uh, the sunlight. They want to act in secrecy, their power is shrouded in secrecy, so they, they absolutely want to crush WikiLeaks, they absolutely want to crush Julian Assange, and the whole matter is about the WikiLeaks publication, because you have to realize that what makes WikiLeaks <laughs> special, I would say, is that they publish, if they receive important information in the public interest. They do publish, and they did publish the cables. They did publish the Afghan war logs. They did publish the Iraq war logs, even if they were receiving tremendous pressure by the U.S. And I question how many publications would have published, you know? How many? You know, you, you have to realize that the, we are in a situation which <laughs> the New York Times, for example, wouldn't, didn't use the word torture for 14 years. They used enhanced interrogations. They didn't want to publish the uh, revelations about the NSA spying on U.S. citizens. So they, and this is why, this is the reason why Edward Snowden didn't want didn't provide his documents to the New York Times because he knew that the New York Times didn't want to publish. So we are, this is the, our media landscape. And in this media landscape, there is an organization which publish and take the hit. And that's, that's why the, the U.S. government wants absolutely to crush this organization and uh, his editor, it's editor, Julian Assange. Absolutely. Uh, you know, also, uh, we didn't talk about Vault 7. What, what um, uh, you report on Vault 7, uh, give us the significance of Vault 7. Well, for the first time, we got factual information about the CIA cyber weapons. Again, it's all about getting factual information about something which is completely shrouded in secrecy. You know, it's all these operations are, are basically shrouded in secrecy. And many of us, we journalists have no way to discover, to get precise, very reliable factual information about these things. So how the intelligence agency operates, how the, uh, the cyber weapons work, how the what hap what actually happened in Afghanistan, what actually happened in Iraq, and these documents are relevant because they provide factual information, and most of them are uh, are difficult to understand because in in many cases they are highly technical like in the case of vault 75 but they are still very valuable i see yes i uh i couldn't agree with you more it's uh, it's amazing the amount of work 
and the significance of that work that uh, WikiLeaks it has. Is, it, is, uh, it is proper journalistic work. This is why I get furious when uh, I hear people saying, oh, they just dump stuff on the Internet. This is not true. I mean, it is true that sometimes uh, some of their publications were not properly handled. They were not pro properly, there was little content curation, some of them, but very few of them, actually. If you consider the massive amount, millions of documents that are published, most of them have been properly published. And uh, we work in parallel. We were verifying the documents as, as media partners. We were looking for stories, for angles, for characters. And it was a real tough work. Journalistically speaking, it was proper journalistic work. This is why I cannot accept when people say, oh, he is just damn stuff on the Internet. That's not journalism. <laughs> I can assure you that's journalism. We work very hard on these documents. Well, I, I must say uh, it, it just nev it never ceases to amaze me, uh, the, the quality of the work and, and how prolific uh, Mr. Assange is. He's, you know, Stefani, what really, um, when I look at this and I look at the, uh, what he has gone through for 10 years, very few people could, could do that. And, and, you know, you talk about people say, well, it's Julian Assange, the publisher. But Julian Assange, the individual who is Julian? You know Julian Assange. I mean, you know, you've known him for 11 years. So Julian Assange, the individual people don't know about. I mean, I know him. I've, I've met with him three times, so I don't know him that well. He did help me with this series two and a half years ago. He's the one that gave me rec. In fact, he says, you got to get Stefani Morizzi and my mother on the show. That He's the one that said. So I, I, what I, what I, to you. Who is the person, Julian Assange, that people out there don't know? So first of all, he's a very smart guy. He is really talented. And uh, uh, he is the most demonized man on the planet. And uh, he has been demonized for whatever has done. And many people are completely unable to look at the man behind this demonization campaign because he has been accused of of all sorts of things. It's not perfect. If you ask me, he's a complicated human being. I have no problem to say he's a complicated human being. Aren't we all? A complex person. But at the same time, he's a very talented. He's a smart guy. He has, uh, he has a lot of courage. And I respect this because, you know, you need to be really bold to help Heather Snowden. You, re you need to be really bold to publish documents about the Afghan war when the uh, Pentagon is sending press to you <laughs> all the time. So he, I like his courage. I like his motivation to inform the public. Uh, he can be warm. He's not a kind of, it's um, not the demonized guy that people keep, keep saying, keep telling, uh, and it's completely different from what we have been told, well, you know? Yeah, yes, absolutely. And, and that's what, you know, when you know, 
when you know Assange, when you know him personally, and I've had the great pleasure of meeting him three times, and you know that sense of humor of his. Sometimes it's a dark sense of humor. Yeah, but absolutely. you know, humor he, and smart. He, Yes. And very curious person, very intellectually curious and talented. Well, you know, when, when I was with him, we talked about the last time I remember we were talking about dogs because how much he missed his kids and his family. And he talked about his dogs. You know, I'm a big dog person. And uh, uh, he did an impression of uh, John Pilger. Uh, you know, he, he really the whole time we, we were having a good time talking in spite of the circumstance and the circumstances back then were not good. Uh, and you know that they're bad right now. And you know what's really bothering me is that this guy, I saw him again, Nels Melzer, who's a special rapporteur on on torture. He's been out there tirelessly over and over and over again, and I can't figure out why people aren't listening. This is him just the other day. This is a little clip of him on a television show saying this. Just one second here. We also know that the reasons the U.S. wants to extradite him for is a classic case of a political offense. And the U.K. law prohibits extradition for political offenses. The European Convention against human, uh, for Human Rights would... would would prohibit it. The, uh, the Convention Against Torture would prohibit it. Um, the, con- the International Covenant on Civil and po- Political Rights prohibits it. There is no discussion that this extradition could lawfully go forward. So, in my view, this whole detention now, at present, has no legal basis. And, and that's him. And he goes on to talk about the torture that, that you know, that he's been tortured, basically. What, what, what do you say yeah. to, to the fact that this guy has been out there, the guy from uh, the U.N., the special rapporteur on uh, not the rapporteur, but the other guy on the um, on arbitrary uh, detention, that U.N. panel. He's been out there and, you know, it's just falling on deaf ears amongst the power structure. What do you think about uh, what Mr. Melzer has been saying and the lack of response from mainstream media? Look, if I look at the at this Julian Assange WikiLeaks case, I think that the only institution for which I have respect is the U.N. because the U.N. really did the right thing, is doing the right thing, has been doing the right thing for the last uh, year. They basically took the hit and they uh, they published their decision, which basically upset everyone, the U.S., the U.K., the Swedish government, saying that Julian Assange has been arbitrarily detained since 2010, which is big, you know. For Sweden, it was the first time in their history that Sweden was found detaining arbitrarily an individual. So, and of course, the, the UK was upset about this UN decision, and they tried to appeal the UN decision, and they lost. And at that point, they they just keep they just ignored the UN decision as if it never happened. And now the UN Special Rapporteur, Nitz Melzer, he's doing a fantastic job. He's taking the heat again and he's standing his position, his principle, and he's telling the world this guy has been tortured. His human rights has been completely violated. And, uh, you know, they're doing the, the, the... the right thing. So I greatly admire them. I really admire them. And I think the UN institution have done 
fantastic work and I greatly respect them. Well, and I wonder how these UN Special Rapporteur will be in his position because I can imagine the UK-US pressure on him. I can't imagine the amount of pressure that he is getting. And, you know, once again, that the British legal system, they just put one hurdle after another uh, in front of the uh, quest for justice for Julian Assange. They keep, they make it more, every time you got something going, they they like turn the other way. Uh, they throw a, a huge roadblock. Uh, and you've been involved in uh, two of those, maybe three of those uh, legal battles. We're going to get to those uh, in one minute. If you just hold on, we're going to take a one-minute break. Um, Stefania Morizzi, we'll be right back in one minute, okay? Yep. Okay. Alla mattina Appena alzata Bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao alla mattina. Appena alzata, il risaia mi toccava. E fra gli insetti. Zanzare, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 e fra gli insetti, e le zanzare, un duro lavoro mi tocca fare, oh mamma mia. Che tormento, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 oh, mamma mia. Oh che tormento, io ti invoco ogni... All right, that's Bella Ciao. What a beautiful song. You've heard that before. Yep. Yeah, of course. Yes. That's got a rich history. That, I think, was uh, one of the big tunes. Uh, the partisans, the anti-fascist um, partisans in Italy uh, came, emerged out. And that's the original version. That That, that is the original. That uh, woman singing that was uh, really uh, quite moving. Um, and thank you for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, my, my family had a hard time during fascism. So I Tell us about that. Uh, tell, us, tell us about your... Uh, my my family had a hard time during fascism. They were anti-fascist. They hated Mussolini and the fascist party, so they had very very hard time. And uh, my grandfather refused to join the uh, fascist party, and they didn't kill him. They didn't do anything initially. But then one night, his daughter uh, fell ill. Fell ill. And she was seriously, seriously ill. And basically, the doctors didn't come when my grandfather called the doctor to visit her. And the doctor refused to come, and she died. You know, this is what fascism. They yeah. they don't tolerate. They didn't tolerate any, you know, decency. They did. They hated people who were not with them. 
So I grew up with this uh, obsession about dissidents, you know. Uh, all my work as a journalist is really focused on dissidents, on people fighting power. Fighting power, especially, you know, fascism. I mean, I mean to, to grow up in that environment, my country is a sponsor uh, of fascism. Uh, and uh, it's not fascist yet, but it certainly uh, supports fascist governments. It, uh, it tried to rescue, you know, Mussolini back in 1943 uh, under Alan Dulles, uh, who was with the OSS. They actually tried to rescue, but the partisans got to him first. Uh, but it uh, must have been an ugly time uh, for your family. Uh, you come from a working-class family. What part of Italy are you from? From the center of Italy, between Umbria and Tuscany. I see. Yes. Well, um, it's good. And it, and it really comes through in your work that you come from uh, working-class roots. I knew myself, you know, uh, my mother was a waitress. My father's a bartender all of his life on top of doing 10 years in prison. And, uh, you know, when you grow up in that kind of environment, you have a different understanding of uh, how the world works. Um, and um, I get, you know, your, your work is just incredible. You, you've been at the center. That's the, you know, you, you've worked at WikiLeaks. You worked with uh, with Snowden and, and Glenn Greenwald. You've, you worked with WikiLeaks on the, all of these uh, uh, publications uh, that they put out. And, and now you're in the center. You have been in the center of uh, three different um, uh, major legal battles. And let's go to the first one first. And, and that's the uh, – give us an update of what's happening with this David Morales undercover global. For people who don't know, not everyone knows about what happened. I mean I was there. The three times I was there, they were spying on people. Can you, can you just give us uh, a backdrop uh, an overview of what was going on with the CIA and uh, Undercover Global? Yes, first of all, let me clarify. I don't want weak, weak. No, I, I didn't say that. Documents. Yeah, I didn't yeah, mean that. I, yeah. I just want to clarify for people okay. listening because it's really important. Yes. I work for my newspaper, La Repubblica, and I work on the WikiLeaks documents. And that said, I... Uh, I, I mean, I did expect, for, of course, that we never revisited Julian Assange at the embassy. We were under surveillance. But I didn't expect the kind of surveillance we discovered thanks to the Spanish investigation on on the UC Global, which is really important. And I think the, the Spanish judges are doing the right thing. They are going through the files. They are trying to understand uh, the UC Global activities. Because this was a company enrolled by the Ecuadorian government to provide security to the embassy, to, to provide security to Julian Assange. So we expected the, the kind of cameras uh, looking at us, but we didn't expect to be spied by them. To what an extent we discovered we were spied. You know, they unscrewed my phone. They were spying on legal meetings. They were listening us. They were listening uh, legal meetings. They were listening um, meetings with uh, Julian between Julian Assange and uh, his doctors. This is something really bad. We cannot tolerate this, Randy. We cannot tolerate that they do these kind of things in our democracy. We expect these kind of situations with this kind of spying operations in uh, authoritarian countries. 
But we cannot tolerate this kind of things in democracy. So I, I want to go ahead. I want to discover what they did. I want to try to discover whether they access my information. I have protected. I did protect all my information, all my data using encryption. So I want to discover whether they were able to bypass encryption, whether they were able to access the, the information I had. And for me, it's crucial because I want to, to establish whether after 11 years of this kind of work to try to protect sources using cryptography, using advanced uh, technology and techniques, I was actually able to protect my sources and my information. And I want that they pay a price for what they did. This is completely unacceptable. We cannot tolerate that they do this kind of things in a democracy. So what now? Now what uh, are you taking legal action um, uh, here uh, to, to try to access as much material as possible? Uh, are you going through Judge Mata's uh, courtroom? Uh, what's what's the vehicle for you uh, to find out? I'm exactly? reviewing the material because, uh, I, as far as I know, there was very uh, I profile spying activities against me. They opened my phone. They took pictures of everything. They accessed my um, uh, electronic uh, devices, USB sticks, uh, power banks, uh, and so on. And they kept pictures of my digital recorders and uh, wrote reports about me. So I want to finish the review of this uh, material, these files by UC Global, and at that point I want to to file a criminal complaint. Well, you know? yeah. Well, listen. I'm considering this, you know. Well, I am thinking about it too. I don't know if they got my stuff, but I know it was uh, it, it was just in, in 2017 was at the, at the pinnacle up until uh, until March 2018. Uh, now, I'm not someone they would uh, be going after, but you certainly, because you've published stuff that uh, from WikiLeaks, and uh, you, so you go in there. Now, this is how I recall. You go in there, you walk through, some guy takes your phone and takes whatever else you have, your books, and takes everything, your keys. But so now you go into a room with Julian and you talk to him for an hour or whatever. At that point in time, they actually download your the material on your phone? Well, I, I have no idea whether they were able to download materials from my phone. I, I mean, all I have is these phones, pictures, uh, and they show my uh, phones unscrewed by the UC Global secretly when I was, basically, whenever I went to the embassy, they knew I was a journalist because they... <clears throat> They took my passport. They knew I was a journalist. I qualified as a journalist, so they were aware I was a journalist. They were aware that others were lawyers. They were aware that others were doctors, so they knew what they were, what they were doing, you know? And uh, I don't know whether they were able to get the data. I mean, at this stage, I cannot say whether they were able to download materials from my mobile phones, or whether they were not able to. But I want to discover this. I want to discover whether they were able to bypass encryption and to basically access documents 
and data on my encrypted devices. I want to discover all this because for me as a journalist, it's crucial. Well, you must have been shocked when you found out that they had uh, amassed all of this information that you had. It must have been shocking. to I mean, I knew that you knew that they'd probably be keeping tabs on you, but you didn't think they, they went this far, right? Yes, uh, it was a shock. And, uh, you know, for me, it's uh, something completely unacceptable. As I said, you expect these kind of things in an authoritarian state. So, I mean, you expect that if you go regime, you have this kind of situation as a journalist. You expect this kind of uh, problems, but you don't expect this kind of problems if you go to an embassy and you go in an embassy in a democratic state. And so, I mean, and for me, it's really important to understand what really no, happened. Because, as I said at the very beginning of our conversation, all my work on the WikiLeaks uh, uh, case, uh, on the Snowden case, basically started back in 2009 because I was concerned about protecting sources and I was looking for encryption to protect sources. So now, 11 years after, I want to know whether this work was basically effective whether I actually protected my source and my important information, which was encrypted. I want to discover what really happened information. Well, it's, it's, really, it's really intimidating. It's frightening uh, what they did uh, to you, and I guess they did it to a lot of people. They eavesdropped on lawyers. But this has given uh, the groundwork, uh, uh, you know, as a reason for him not to be uh, extradited, that uh, the CIA uh, and, and the British government uh, actually violated laws. So I think this this might uh, uh, be a blessing in disguise for Julian in the sense that now maybe uh, they can use this as the rationale not to extradite him. What do you think? Well, uh, I think it's, uh, it's an argument. You know, it's that basically Julian Assange's rights were completely violated. It's clear that it was spy, there were spying activities targeting his conversations, his meeting with those lawyers. Um, it's clear that basically <clears throat> this information was very likely gathered for the U.S. intelligence and shared with the U.S. intelligence. So, I mean, this is a serious, very serious case that... Uh, could completely undermine the extradition proceedings to well, the U.S. So, yes. And the, as I said, the Spanish investigation is crucial. It's really important. Yeah, I, this judge seems like a good judge. You know, uh, once in a while you'll see a good judge, uh, Judge Garzon, when he was a judge. And now uh, this Judge Mata seems like, a, uh, you know, an honest individual. Uh so uh, let's hope uh, that uh, yeah, but all these things going for him. You got their UN rapporteur. You got the uh, the the head of the uh, the UN uh, panel on ex on extraordinary. I mean, not extraordinary edition, but on uh, arbitrary detention. You've got all these things in his favor, uh, in Julian Assange's favor, uh, going uh, for him. And and uh, you know, you got this now. So I mean. <laughs> You would think this is a slam dunk, as they say, uh, for him to be uh, let go, 
and then returned home after 10 years so he could see his mother and see his father and spend uh, time with his kids. Um, but um, so that's the one case that you're involved in right now uh, that you're you're planning a, uh, a lawsuit on. The, 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 we had your your attorney uh, on your uh, two FOIA uh, cases on last week, Estelle Dehorn, and she she is really fabulous. How did you find Estelle Dehorn? Well, basically, I have good for your lawyer. I have a lawyer, and I got his name, and uh, she she was really good from the very beginning. She's very 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 good lawyer, very smart woman, very committed, um, really committed to excellence. So I'm very happy about uh, Estelle. I'm very happy about Jennifer. I'm very happy about the uh, Australian lawyer who is fighting the Australian authority, the Swedish lawyer. It's a really complex work. My FOA, um, the Freedom of Information Act uh, litigation, and basically I'm going ahead and I have spent the last five years fighting in the British court, Swedish court, in Australia, in U.S. It's a very time-consuming, really hard work. Well, I know. And I'm doing completely, completely... You know, completely alone because, you know, no one uh, at the beginning, no one wanted to pay. So I paid the first legal fees in my personal capacity because no one wanted to um, pay any <laughs> any legal fees. So, you know, you realize, you know, Randy, the problem is that basically a publisher spent 10 years in these conditions, and no journalist try to access the documents about this case. I think this is uh, a kind of bench benchmark of the situation of, of the the state the state of journalism in this day. I mean, when I realized that no one had tried to access the documents to get factual information, I was really upset. And uh, you know. You, this man was sitting in London. He was not sitting in North Korea. Or, uh, so, I mean, for me, it was incredible that no one had tried to ask the, the documents and no one had tried to establish the facts about this case. Well, uh, you know, you are a determined person not to be deterred. I know when you, when you pursue something, you do it, and I know that you uh, put your own money into it. I know about that. Uh, and so this is something that uh, be in your bonnet that, that you have pursued, and it really uh, is quite impressive. Uh, just uh, we had like a, a Estelle Dehon, that, that interview is on the Covert Action Magazine uh, website, and she goes into great detail. And I think it'll be on the Courage Foundation uh, website along with the other ones, uh, interviews. Uh, but but uh, can you just encapsulate uh, this uh, the 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 ones trying to get uh, with the CPS, the Crown Prosecutor Services, exactly what that was and why it was so significant. Well, you have to realize that the the Julian Assange case goes back to 2010 when he started publishing the very important documents, the U.S. secret documents, and basically he was. Um, he was put under investigation in Sweden for alleged uh, rape. 
and basically he spent 10 years under investigation and this investigation basically was basically paralyzed. It was a kind of uh, judicial paralysis uh, and uh, there was uh, also a diplomatic quagmire um, because when Julian Assange basically realized that he had no option uh, and he was basically he would be extradited to Sweden, he basically uh, seek refuge in the embassy. He went to the, to the Ecuadorian embassy because he, he was convinced that he's extradited to Sweden, he would be extradited to the US. So it was initially a legal case and then a legal and diplomatic quagmire because he was basically put into the condition of being under investigation but the Swedish prosecutor didn't want, didn't, uh, didn't um, charge him, and they didn't dismiss the case. They didn't drop the case. So it was kind of legal limbo, and he would have spent basically 10 years in this situation where the, <laughs> the legal investigation in Sweden was put at the preliminary stage with no decision, no charges. So when uh, back in 2015, I realized that this situation was really, really weird, you know, because we have our prosecutors traveling the world to question uh, people under investigation, and they they travel the world, they question people under investigation, and they decide whether to charge them or not, whether to dismiss their investigation. In the case of Julian Assange, everything was completely paralyzed and the, and this uh, preliminary investigation didn't make any progress. So it was at that point that I, I decided to get access to the document. And I started asking documents in Sweden because it's a very open jurisdiction. So, and it, it, it was the right choice. I mean, I got, few documents, but really important. And I discovered that basically the reason why the Swedish prosecutor didn't want to go to London to question Julian Assange and to decide whether to charge him or whether to drop the case was that the, Swede the UK prosecutors at the Crown Prosecution Service basically had thought had advised the Swedish prosecutor not to go there, had advised them to question Julian Assange only after extradition. So it was thanks to this Freedom of Information Act, thanks to these documents I obtained, thanks to the Freedom of Information Act, that we finally got evidence of the Swedish or the, the UK role in the case, which basically the Crown Prosecution Service contributed to create this legal and diplomatic quagmire which has kept Julian Assange in London for 10 years. So it was only thanks to this Freedom of Information Act. And we dis thanks to these documents, we discovered that basically it was the Crown Prosecution Service which uh, wrote to the Swedish prosecutors that this was not an extradition like any other. And it was the Crown Prosecution Service who said, which said to the Swedish prosecutor uh, back in 2013 
not to drop the investigation because back in 2013, the Swedish prosecutors considered to drop their investigation and the UK authorities at the Crown Prosecution Service basically were not in favor of this possibility. So at the end of the day, one wonder why the UK is calling the shot in this investigation, this Swedish investigation. I mean, if this, is, this was just an investigation, a Swedish investigation about alleged sex crimes, why the, the UK was calling, calling the shot? What kind of special interest they had in this case? Right. When I tried to discover this, when I tried to dig into their documents, the Crown Prosecution Service said, we destroyed the documents. And they said, well, why you you destroy the documents? Because this case is still ongoing. It's still really relevant and highly controversial. And they didn't provide explanation. They just said, we destroyed the documents, which is completely suspicious. So this agency, the Crown Prosecution Service now is the very same agency in charge of deciding whether they will extradite Julian Assange to the U.S. So this agency is crucial. That's why I keep fighting to get all the documents from this agency, the Crown Prosecution Service, because this, that, this agency is absolutely crucial. And I keep fighting. I have a new case because I want to have access to these documents. You are, you are just unbelievable. Uh, it, it's so remarkable, uh, your willpower and your determination to uh, uh, get uh, all of these uh, documents and you just keep moving on. Um, so where does it stand right now? So right now, I have the, a new Freedom of Information Act case about Julian Assange and the Crown Prosecution Service. I basically, I filed this new Freedom of Information Act request one month ago, a month ago, and I'm waiting for their decision. And then I have an, a new, an, another one, an, another Freedom of Information Act about three former and current WikiLeaks journalists. They have uh, Christine Rasson, the current editor-in-chief of WikiLeaks. They are Joseph Farrell, which is, um, who is um, uh, an, investig- an editor of WikiLeaks, and uh, about Sarah Harrison, a very brave journalist who basically helped Edward Snowden to get asylum in Hong Kong. She's a very, very important and very prominent journalist who has Edward Norden. And in this case, I'm fighting against the Scotland Yard, the, metropo- the so-called Metropolitan Police, London Metropolitan Police, which is basically Scotland Yard. And they are denying me documents. They are using anti-terror law to deny me access to the documents. And I'm fighting because I want the documents. Wow. So, I mean, I have spent five years fighting and the reason and if you realize how many energies they have spent to deny me these documents you realize that probably these documents uh, contains very important information because our authorities keep 
writing documents in a very candid, in a very <laughs> open way. They believe that there is blanket exemption, that they, these documents will never be released under Freedom of Information Act. But if you are willing to fight, if you are willing to, <laughs> to challenge them, if you, are using, if you have good lawyers, if you know how to use different laws, Freedom of Information Act laws in different jurisdictions, you have a chance to get at least some of them, as I did in Sweden, and I got very important information. It is really important information. I think that what you have done has uh, been a boon uh, to the Assange uh, defense efforts. It really has been, uh, both with the the FOIA request on the Metropolitan Police collaboration uh, with the uh, U.S. Department of Justice and the... um, CPS uh, dirty tricks uh, involving the Swedish prosecutor. I think that what you've done is really invaluable, and God bless you, man. I'm I'm an atheist, but God bless you anyway um, uh, for for the incredible strength and, and courage. And uh, it's just amazing that uh, you, they don't hassle you. Maybe you are being hassled. I don't know, but uh, maybe your newspaper is. But uh, you certainly uh, have have been a a great role model. I wish more people would uh, follow your lead uh, because, uh, you know, you're, I know what you're going to say. Well, you're just doing your job. I know. And more, I wish more journalists would just do their job the way you do your job. And um, it, we got to go now. We're at, we've gone over time, but can you just, um, in conclusion, uh, any last thoughts about this entire process, uh, this, this, um, persecution uh, of Julian Assange. Any last thoughts you'd like to share? Yes, I mean, uh, uh, I absolutely want to fight. Um, I want to protect Julian Assange from in the U.S. just for publishing, just for revealing war crimes, just for revealing torture, because I want to live in a society where you can publish, you can reveal uh, secret information about tortures, secret information about crimes without ending in prison, without ending prison for life, or without being tortured as uh, Julian Assange and Charles Manning, or without uh, escaping to Russia as Edward Snowden. For me, it's really important. I mean, you must be able to do this thing in a democracy, because this is what makes democracy different from regime. Well, thank you for all of your great work, and thank you for uh, giving us so much of your time today. You are a, indeed a very uh, special individual, and I, uh, I I hope to be in London uh, for the 24th, and perhaps we'll, uh, our paths will cross and uh, uh, continue uh, the, uh, the great success against the system which uh, you have had so far it's uh, it's really uh, an incredible journey that you've been on thank you very much Stefani Morizzi uh, and we'll talk to you very soon all right that was Stefani thank you Randy thanks all right that's Stefani Morizzi hold on the line for one second Stefani I'm going to go talk in one second um, and we'll be right uh, back after this uh piece of music from the uh, the same era, 1944-45. Oh, Badoglio, Pietro Badoglio, 
ingrassato dal fascio littorio col tuo degno compare Vittorio ci hai già rotto abbastanza i coglioni las mai dit farei las mai fight farei las mai dit las mai fight las mai dit farei las mai diru si si las mai falu nonno tutto questo salvarti non può ti ricordi quando eri fascista e facevi il saluto romano o dal duce stringevi la mano sei davvero un gran bel porcaccio ti ricordi l'impresa d'Etiopia e il ducato di Addis Abeba meritavi di prender la meba ed invece facevi milion ti ricordi la guerra di Francia che l'Italia copriva d'infamia ma tu intanto prendevi la mancia e col duce facevi spezion ti ricordi la guerra di Grecia e i soldati mandati al macello ed allora per farti più bello rassegnavi le tue dimissioni that is from once again from the anti-fascist uh, the Italian anti-fascist movement uh, back in the 40s. Um, I'm Randy Credico, uh, and you are listening to Assange Countdown to Freedom, a collaboration of Live on the Fly and Covert Action Magazine. And uh, here in the studios of nycpodcasting.com uh, <clears throat> in the historic Lower East Side. Um in the studio with me, of course, is Nathan Fuller of the Courage Foundation. Courage Foundation is the leading advocate uh, for uh, whistleblowers, and right now in particular, Julian Assange. Um, do you have any announcements? Uh, what's yeah, a whole bunch of events coming up. Uh, by the way, we're at defend.wikileaks.org for all information, uh, up-to-date live blog on his political, legal, prison developments, uh, but also upcoming events, how to get involved, how to help. Um, so we have, yeah, several events. You can always check out defend.wikileaks.org slash events. Uh, and just tomorrow in Edinburgh, uh, Scotland Must Resist is putting on uh, a panel event for Assange with Craig Murray, John White, Lisa Longstaff, and uh, Robert Soman. And Deepa Driver. Uh, organized by uh, and presenting with uh, Deepa Driver. And uh, so then next Thursday, January 30th, we have an event here in Washington, D.C., uh, the prosecution of Assange impact on the freedom of the press. And that's going to have uh, Jamil Jaffer with the Knight First Amendment Institute of Columbia, Amy Jeffress, a former uh, U.S. DOJ official, and Ben Wisner uh, with the ACLU. Uh, so that'll be a really uh, great discussion of the Espionage Act and extradition law and, uh, and what's going to happen if... Assange is brought here and uh, the prosecution uh, is underway. Um, and then one more we just have uh, February 9th in Los Angeles, uh, another panel on the prosecution of Assange and the freedom of the press. Uh, and Barry Pollack, who's Julian Assange's U.S. attorney, uh, who's working on the case and who would be uh, among those defending Assange if he's extradited here, is going to speak uh, along with uh, Carrie Schenkman, a First Amendment lawyer, Marjorie Cohn. Uh, with National Lawyers Guild and then uh, some others with National Lawyers Guild and uh, the local chapter of ACLU. So that's uh, February 9th in Los Angeles, December, uh, sorry, January 30th in Washington, D.C., 
and tomorrow in Edinburgh. So always check out defend.wikileaks.org slash events. Defend.wikileaks.org. So you go there. Defend or go to the website for Courage Foundation. Is, is couragefound.org. That's the, okay. And uh, also on uh, Twitter, it's couragefound. Yep. F-O-U-N, uh, at couragefound. Uh, so uh, if you want to uh, stay updated, uh, follow uh, Courage Found on Twitter or go to their website. Uh, do we have uh, Bernadette on? Okay, so we do have Bernadette. Bernadette uh, is uh, on the uh, on the phone right now, and there's been a vigil in New York City for the last four or five months uh, every Thursday, and one of the leading uh, organizers is on the phone with us, Bernadette Evangelista. Welcome, Bernadette. Hello, how are you? Okay, so um, give us an update uh, on, on the vigil uh, outside of, I guess it's been moved to uh, Grand Central. Yes, the last few weeks, because it's been so cold, but it's been a wonderful place to be. So every Thursday, and the next one will be the 30th, January 30th, at 4.30 to 5.30, we're at Grand Central Terminal, main concourse in New York City, and uh, we're there with our signs and uh, flyers and talk to people, and people come by and talk to us, and it's been, it's been really wonderful. We've done it every Thursday. We've been out since May. Well, that's great. So, that's so it, I, it seems like it's, it's gone by quickly since May, almost uh, nine months. Uh, let me yeah. – uh, they, 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 they show up at the clock inside – or the information booth right. inside Grand Central at four fifteen. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's every Thursday at four thirty. Uh, we'll have you back on to five thirty. All right. So it's a it's yeah. a very worthy event, and I see it's really growing like wildfire. And it you is. Do, you're doing a great job, and uh, you and Chuck. Uh-huh. All right. And well, Zool. you've inspired us, Randy. Just come see us. I will. I'll be there soon. Okay. okay? All right. Very Thank good. You. All right, Bernadette. Thank you. All right. So. Bye. Bye. All right. So that pretty much wraps it up. I want to thank everybody here. I want to thank uh, uh, Francis, our uh, engineer. He's just uh, a miracle worker um, uh, working uh, with us on this show. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm going to close. We're going to keep it Italian with Luciano Pavarotti, but let me just set it up. This this closing song is from uh, Nobuku. Nobuku is a uh, opera by... Uh, Giuseppe Verdi, 1841, and this is an audio from that opera. Now, as Hugh Kerr once said on this show, that opera is like the most revolutionary form of music, and it really is. This this uh, play really is a revolutionary play. If you look underneath it, the 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 uh, when it opened up uh, at La Scala in Milan in uh, in January of 1841 or 1842, I believe. Uh, immediately this became the theme for the uh, Risorgimento movement uh, in uh, in Italy uh, that Mazzini and Garibaldi had spearheaded uh, or later completed in 1860 uh, this was uh, this was a tune people were like on the streets and it's about it's really about oppression it's about Jews who were leaving uh, Babylon under uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, and it, 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 that's the tale, but that, that's, that's, that's the allegory. The allegory is, is um, what was going on in Italy because they were under the Austrians, the Bourbons in the South, and the Papal States under heavy repression. And this was the movement. This was the song to deliver, to deliver people who were oppressed 
women and children, civilians, away from oppression. And when I think of Julian Assange, that's what he's done. If you take a look at the work that he's done, it's about war. It's about civilians, civilians being killed by this international war machine that starts right here in the U.S. That's what he's done. He has spent his life trying to help children, civilians who are victims of war, children. And so I'm going to play this, and, and I think of the children. When you hear this, this is Luciano Pavarotti conducting this wonderful audio, and the choir is made up of children, children. It's the Tibetan and Cambodian children's choir. Think of Assange. Think of the children. Think of the people that he's tried to save. And these, think of the faith. This, when you hear this, these are the people that Julian Assange has, is spending time in a dungeon over and possibly the rest of his life in prison trying to save the children. All right, we'll see you next week. Thank you, everybody.